Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Today, my name is Terry Fletcher. So I thought today I would go over the Medicare fee schedule. The final rule was published on November 1st, and so I've had kind of a week to ponder it and really kind of look over and, and graze over some things to see what impact it's going to have for what I do and for not only what my listeners do, but what my clients do, what my potential clients do, and hopefully what you want to hear without reading the 3,500-page document. And I have found some interesting things on there that actually some make sense, some don't. And so kind of take the the journey with me and, and see what you come up with as well. So one of the things that I noticed in the final rule was the behavioral health strategy. And this was part of section 42. And one of the things that CMS has done is that they have included a amendment to the direct supervision requirement under their incident to regulation at 410.26, that's in the Social Security Act, and it says to allow behavioral health services to be furnished under the general supervision of a physician or NPP when these services or supplies are provided by auxiliary personnel incident to the service of a physician or NPP. So, but they talked about the services of an LPC and an LMFT. So if some of you had to maybe Google that if you're not in the behavioral health space. So let's first take a look at these definitions. So if you are asking about a, an LPC, that's a licensed professional counselor. They also call them mental health counselors. And an LMFT is a licensed marriage and family therapist. And so the LMFT helps couples and families manage problems within their relationships. And the LPC or mental health counselor, they are now dealing with um, patients and advising patients who are experiencing mental health, behavioral health, emotional issues, and basically helpers and helping patients get through that. What I find interesting about this is that Medicare made an inference Thank you to my friend Christine Hall, who also pointed this out to me when we were doing our uh, Behavioral Hall Summit last month, is that the auxiliary staff would be the LPCs and LMFTs who are not eligible for Medicare benefits, but it's not specifically stated, but it's inferred that that's what they're dealing with. So this to me is a headache waiting to happen because nobody's talking about this, and I think that there could be some services that are going to be billed out either under the physician or the NPP incident too. And I think that's going to be a problem because when you talk about uh, taking away the direct supervision and they're saying to amend the direct supervision requirement under our incident to regulation to be furnished general supervision, it means that the physician or NPP just has to be available and so where are these practitioners who, again, are not covered under Medicare, where are they treating these patients? Are they at school? Are they, do they actually have an office? Um, you know, so this is where I think, oh my goodness, this is going to be a problem. So be careful when you read some of this stuff, because I'm reading through it and I'm thinking, this doesn't even make sense. So what is it that you guys are talking about here? And so those, those are some of the first things that I noticed. The second thing is when we talk about the, let's look at the fee schedule. Now everybody's up in arms over this and 
we should be because we anticipated it. But when it's smacking you in the face, uh, it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, this is actually going to happen. And I think a lot of people expected Congress to step in and maybe put another halt, another Band-Aid on the cuts coming to Medicare. Um, and believe me, with the political climate right now, and you're listening to this on voting day, so you know that there could be some kind of a last-minute ditch effort to uh, change something, but I, it would be really hard to do that in the House and the Senate the week of um, politics and, and voting and things like that. So here's what you're looking for for the conversion factor and rate setting under the calendar year 2023 profe- on the uh, physician fee schedule under Medicare. So it talks about with budget neutrality adjustments, which are required by law to ensure payment rates for individual services don't result in changes to the estimated Medicare spending. And they go on with the statutory required update uh, to the conversion factor for calendar year 2023 of 0%. Remember, MedPAC came out earlier this year and said, doctors don't need a raise. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? And remember, we got a 3% increase to the lowered fee schedule. This was supposed to happen last year uh, due to COVID for 2022. And so that's going away. That's expiring, they call it. And so the final conversion factor is actually two cents lower than we thought it was going to be. And it's going to $33 and six cents. So 3306. And that's a decrease of $1 and 55 cents to the calendar year conversion factor of what we have now of 3461. And it's actually a 4.48% decrease. So 4.4% decrease. And I actually saw somebody say, Oh, no, it's only a 0.07 decrease. No, it's over. It's about a four and a half percent decrease. That's not the only decrease you're getting. Remember, sequestration cuts or decreases, or I should say, um, the withhold that comes from your Medicare check started up again at 2% July 1st. And for the physicians that against my advice, took the accelerated advance payment from Medicare, they've been paying those payments back because that was the only loan of all that funding that went out uh, since March. And then the to top it all off, we have that PAYGO 4% additional reduction from the $1.9 trillion Biden rescue plan that he did earlier last year. And so we're, who are they attacking? They're attacking Medicare payments. And so we're looking at 8.5% of a decrease to the Medicare reimbursement schedule um, if you're a physician. So this is going to really hurt patients in the long run. And also try not to buy into all the propaganda right now on the TV. I'm getting very frustrated because first of all, are Medicare patients getting an increase in their Social Security benefit, 8%? Yes, but it's not due to this administration. It's due to the 1975 uh, Consumer Price Index Act that um, President Nixon at the time put into play. And so that's from uh, years and years ago, okay, so over 40 years ago. When you hear anything talking about how there's going to be a decrease in the Medicare premiums for patients, that's only because, remember, there was an Alzheimer's drug that FDA approved that they shouldn't have approved. It was actually a fraudulent approval, and everybody got an increase because of that drug. They said everybody should you know, feel the pain of the expense of it. Well, instead of lowering premiums in the uh, mid-year, they said, no, we'll just lower them next year and take that off because that drug was recalled. And so that's not a plus. That's covering your butt on that. So Believe me, I'm going to be ranting about that forever. You can't make a mistake and then 
you know, fix the mistake and then call it a win for your side. It's basically, look, you made a mistake and you didn't have oversight. And so luckily you're not, you know, wearing the orange jumpsuit for it. So those kinds of things make me crazy. Okay, so what happened with the evaluation and management? So I'm just going to share some synopsis here that really affects some of the Medicare updates um, because we have some webinars coming up. I know I have my on-demand. I've just updated a lot of them. And so check out my website at terryfletcher.net. I've got one for the 2023 ENM. I've got one for cardiology, gastroenterology, you name it, it's up there, shared visits. And so uh, if you're interested in any on-demand webinars, feel free to check that out. But ENM services, so the ongoing updates for ENM codes and AMA, CPT and Medicare have been working together, but they don't agree with everything. So there are new descriptors and times, uh, especially in the hospital level revised interpretive guidelines and levels for medical decision making. You can cho choose time and also medical dis or medical decision making, but just remember there are um, safeguards out there when it comes to choosing time. Now, it talks about the eliminated use of history and exam uh, to determine the code level, but you still have to have a medically appropriate history and exam. Now, what the medically appropriate history and exam is, who knows? That's left up to the physician. And so as an auditor, talk about a challenge for us because one doctor could say, I need an ankle exam to evaluate a heart patient. And I could say, that makes no sense to me. And they'll say, well, you're not a doctor. So this is where we're going to run into some problems there. What about splitter shared visits? So after a long delay of the splitter shared visit policy, um, the policy which professionals should bill for share visit is still going to be defined by the substantive portion or more than half the total time. So they're going to keep those elements. And if the physician is using any of the history exam or medical decision making elements, they actually have to complete in its entirety uh, one of those um, elements of the E&M service. So they will still have the history exam or medical decision making uh, to determine what is should be used. And yes, you have to use the F as in Frank, S as in Sam modifier uh, for splitter share visits. And this is going to be till the end of 2024 until they figure out uh, what they're going to use, you know, so um, they haven't figured that out yet. And then telehealth services. So let's be clear on this. So they really go through and try to um, be consistent with the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2022. We'll just call that CAA for short, meaning that once the PHE ends and currently it's slated to go through January 11th, 2023, once that ends, then what kicks in is the CAA Act, which means that for at least a period of 151 days, so give or take about five months, following the end of PHE, there will still be some telehealth provisions that are allowed. And of that CAA document, it's on page 301 to 305. I've actually read it. And it talks about there are certain sub-regulatory guidances in there. Um, and geographic location questions. So they're still going to allow the patient's home to be the originating site. 
Um, now, don't read into something that's not there. One of the languages or one of the words in the final rule says allow, and I'm air quoting, certain services to be furnished via audio only. And remember, you need to look at the list for the, what those certain services are, and that's published on the CMS website. They're still going to allow physical therapists, OT, speech language pathologists, and audiologists to um, furnish telehealth services. That doesn't mean office visit. It means their therapy services. And just so you know, there was a report that just came out actually yesterday that talked about um, how physicians and patients are not happy with physical therapy through telehealth. Um, and actually of the patients polled, it was, a, it was like a 58% were unhappy. So I would not consider that a win um, on there. And again, you have to make sure that it's, it's appropriate to do telehealth, not just because you can. So um, that's where I'm having a struggle with some of my clients that I'm seeing it for convenience, not because they should. And then under the CAA, it also delays the in-person requirements for mental health services, furnished uh, telehealth until the 152nd day after the PHE ends. I don't actually like that rule. I don't know who came up with that. But patients should come in and see their physician, especially on mental health, at least once in a year, once every six months. So hopefully that will come into play again once the uh, CAA expires. Also, they finalized the proposal to allow physicians and practitioners to continue to bill with the place of service indicator that would have been reported had the service been furnished in person. So, you know, we, we had an adjustment to the place of service 02 and we had a new place of service 10 added in 2022, which basically said that the, the patient was either not in their home or in their home, but it was a telehealth place of service. If you use those new place of service, services, you're going to see a reduction in your reimbursement. You also have to have the modifier 95 to continue to identify your office visits if you're billing them with audio and video um, as an, an identified telehealth claim. So make sure that you have that there. Here's a statement that was in the final rule that didn't make sense to me. It said claims that can continue to be billed with the place of service that would have been used if telehealth service had been furnished in person through the latter end of uh, calendar year 2023 or end of the year in which the PHE ends. Well, okay. Well, the PHEs, you know, in 2023 right now extended. So you think they would have caught that. So it's either going to be uh, at the end of next year or it's going to be after when the CAA uh, is there. Now, one thing I noticed within the Consolidation Appropriations Act, they haven't talked about HIPAA. And you have to have a, a HIPAA platform that is appropriate instead of FaceTime or uh, using a smartphone. So I'm going to dive into that and I'll let you know because I'm not really sure what they're talking about there. Or the, I'm not sure what they've clarified on that um, area there. They have talked about chron uh, chronic pain management treatment services and they have new G codes, which again are tracking codes for valuation of pain management services. And that's for the calendar year 2023 only. And they wanted to have the G codes because they wanted to have um, more payment accuracy for these services, um, in addition to their welcome to Medicare um, benefits. Opioid treatment programs, those are going to continue to um, also include the G codes for certain drug components of those services and for subsequent years. So if you're in that space as far as that treatment program for drug abuse and things like that, make sure you take a look at that. 
Now, dental and oral services. I had somebody just say, hey, did you see that Medicare Part uh, A and B now has dental coverage? I'm like, okay, back the truck up. <laughs> Don't read just the headline. Remember, I've talked to you guys about, about clickbaiting. So Medicare payment for dental services is generally precluded by the statute. That's why a lot of patients choose Medicare Advantage because they want some, some kind of dental and optical care. But Medicare currently pays for dental services in a limited number of circumstances, specifically when that service is an integral part of the specific treatment of the beneficiary's primal, um, primary medical condition. So let's say they're having reconstruction of the jaw following fracture or injury, tooth extractions done in preparation for radiation treatment for cancer involving the jaw or oral exams, preceding kidney transplantation, things like that, they will pay for. So CMS proposed to clarify and codify certain aspects of the current uh, policies for that dental service, and that was one of them. And so it has to be linked to that and substantially related to that um, clinical success of that otherwise covered medical service. Um, dental exams and necessary treatments prior to organ transplants, cardiac valve replacements, and valvuloplasty procedures are part of that as well. But just make sure the patients don't think that dental services as a generality are covered because they're not. If it doesn't have anything to do with organ transplants or fracture care of the jaw or cardiac valve replacements, it's not going to be covered. So um, that's a, a really big deal. Colon cancer screener screening. So I know I have my um, my GI people on here. One of the things here is they did lower the minimum age payment limitation from 50 to 45. So obviously most patients are 65 when they qualify for Medicare, but there are certain patients also that are on disability Medicare and now they'll qualify at 45 years old. A lot of the commercial plans have gotten on board with that. So um, this is not a surprise change. Uh, for me with this. Also, the recent U uh, U.S. Task Force on Preventative Services also recommended 45. So I am seeing that adjustment by a lot of commercial plans as well. Um, also, they are expanding the regulatory definition of colorectal cancer screening tests to include a complete cancer screening test where a follow-up um, on colon screening after a non-invasive stool-based colorectal cancer screening returns a positive result. So the patient can come back in for a screening um, encounter. Also, don't forget to look at uh, the payment now when a patient has, let's say, a polyp removed. And while well, they come in for a screening, they end up having a colon screening, they end up having a polyp removed, and it turns into a therapeutic or diagnostic colonoscopy. Well, currently in 2022, and what we've had to deal with is that patients now have um, an out of pocket of their 20%. Their deductible is still waived, but their 20% is not. In 2023 through 2026, that now changes to 15%. And there's a sliding scale that by the year 2030, that out of pocket will be eliminated in that scenario. So should be sooner, but at least we'll, we're happy with something there. And then um, preventative vaccine administrative services, make sure you take a look at that. They finalized um, you know, a continued proposal to continue additional at-home payments for COVID-19 through calendar year 2023 for patients who are high risk. So always read the fine print, high risk, high risk, high risk. It's not just for anybody. And then 
when they talked about um, looking at telehealth services. Again, they talked about the CAA Act and then also to ensure a smooth transition after the end of PHE. This is all over the final rule. And so it, this is where um, you can pretty much tell. And if I had to make an, a, a guess, I would say that the PHE is going to end in January. Let's face it. I don't think it should have been re renewed, you know, in October because it, we already had Biden telling everyone on 60 Minutes that it was over, um, over, you know, a couple months ago and everybody's kind of learned to live with it. And so this is where um, you, you have to kind of look at the realities. Uh, also, when you read something that says, and I want to quote here, allowing certain services to be furnished via audio only telecommunications, certain services. What that may be could be mental health services furnished by rural health clinics or federally qualified health care centers. It's not office visits. Please do not bill office visits with audio only services with phone calls um, because that is not something that is reimbursable. So you have to have the audio and video connection. Now, I didn't see them specifically address phone calls because I know once the PHE ends, the 99441 to 99443 um, will go away. And I didn't see that in the CAA either. I'm still searching for it. So I'll keep you posted on that because they do have a G2252 11 to 20 minute telehealth audio only after the PHE ends. That's where I think there's going to be I think some confusion. So um, we're, as we get closer to January, we'll definitely keep you informed with, with some of that information. But it's been a little bit confusing, I think, for all of us as far as some of the Medicare doublespeak, as I like to call it. So hopefully that gave you a little bit of a rundown of what you're looking for uh, for the final rule and for the Medicare fee schedule. I know everybody was trying to figure out the conversion factor and some of the offsets and really what our reimbursement is going to be. If you need further training for the 2023 E&M services, again, please look at my website. I've got live and on-demand uh, webinars for that. Also, my new eBooks are now up for cardiology, GI, uh, different specialties. So take a look at those as well if you're interested. So I hope everyone has a great rest of your week. Make it a great day. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma, music producer Assassin Music.